Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Joel. It's good to be with you today. And uh, yeah, I, I love what John and Jackie were just saying. This is an opportunity for us today. And if you don't know about our ministry, about the church, if you're newer to the ministry, you're going to learn about a three-year plan that we have right now to really engage people with the gospel um, of Jesus Christ as we move forward. Um, I, I, there's going to be a lot of notes for you. So just get ready. A lot of notes. Um, a lot of opportunity for us to evaluate what God is really wanting for us and from us as a congregation, as a church. Uh, first, though, I want to I speak to you um, about a book by the name of Galatians. Paul uh, is writing this book to the churches and the believers in the area of Galatia. And so that's why it's called Galatians. And he's writing about Christian liberty. The reason he's writing about Christian liberty is because you had some legalists who began speaking um, and letting the Gentile believer, the new believer, know, hey, listen, you better obey the law because if you don't obey the law, then you're in a lot of trouble. And it's not really about faith. It's about making sure you get everything right. Um, and Paul knew that wasn't the case. Now, Paul, um, remember, he, he wrote from a Jewish background, and yet he knew that it was by faith. Friends, it is only by faith and grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved. That's it. And all these other individuals started stepping into the scene going, no, no, you better obey this. You better obey this law. If you screw this up, you're in trouble. And they're making sure that they understand this. And what was taking place is they were exchanging grace with bondage to the law. They were exchanging grace with bondage to the law. And so Paul is writing and saying, no, please don't do this. And he's helping to correct course for them. Now, we all need that sometimes. We need somebody to step in and correct course for us. You're going this way. Mature leaders invite what? Accountability. accountability. Everybody say accountability. accountability. We know we don't like that, but we know mature leaders invite accountability. They want people to speak into their life who are biblically and spiritually mature and say, yeah, help me out here. Well, Paul's stepping in going, guys, you're going the wrong way here. You're going the wrong way. And he's wanting to make sure that they're aware of that, that they're living by grace, that they're living in the mercy of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. Now, please hear this as well, though. You must know that liberty, grace, forgiveness is not liberty to do whatever you want. Something we often say, liberty is not freedom to do whatever you want. Well, I'm saved by grace. I can live whatever life I, I want now. I have forgiveness. I'm good to go. No, no, no. It's by understanding that it's grace and faith and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, which you're saved by, that now you're so overwhelmed by that, you want to surrender your desires for the desires of Christ, to be obedient to his perfect word in all that you do. You following me on this? Yes? 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 yes. I will go again. We know this. We know this. You have to understand that... Walking in the liberty and the freedom and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is not liberty to do whatever you want. It's a matter of knowing that you are saved by grace, but because of the grace of God, you're so overwhelmed by it through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that you desire to surrender, to sacrifice all of your preferences, all of your desires for His will. Thy will be done, not my own. And so Paul is writing about this, this freedom in Christ. The freedom that we have now, the desire that we have now to produce fruits of righteousness, fruit of the Spirit, because we are so enamored by what Jesus has done. 
So you need to understand some of the, uh, the background of what's happening in Galatians chapter 6. And I want to begin reading for you in verse 6, Galatians chapter 6. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? Let the one who has taught the word, so if you've been taught the word, hear this, share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be Do not be God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. So if you sow, if you plant for selfishness, for self-gain, for self-control, to gain for self, if that's what you're planting for, you in the end will end up reaping what? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have, you're about to have some opportunities presented to you today. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Paul writing to a bunch of people who are being told by legalists, you better obey these rules or else, is saying, no, it's by faith, but because of faith, you get to live out according to the Spirit in your own life, the power of God. You get to live out now according to what God has designed you for. You get to find confidence in who God has made you to be rather than what the world tells you that you should be. You get to surrender your desires, your preferences to the Almighty to live for Him and not to live for self. Because if you live for self, you're going to what? You're going to bring in corruption. Now this is hard for us, especially in a world that says it's all about you. It's not all about you. If you live for self, you will reap construction. If you sow or if you plant, that's why I have this beautiful plant here. Anybody know what kind of plant this is? I thought you were from West Michigan. This is a raspberry plant. I threw you off a little bit on that one. All right? Um, Your debate, people in the front are debating this. This is a raspberry plant. Um, It says it, I wanted to hide the bucket, raspberries right there. So here is your raspberry plant, and so here it is for us. What this is letting us be aware of is that whatever you sow in your life, you're going to produce. You will reap what you sow. You've heard it before, right? It's the Word of God. And Paul starts applying this to the principle of money. He applies this to your possession. He also applies this to just simply where you give of your energy and your strength, everything else in life. What you are sowing, what you are planting is what at the end of the day you reap. That's in terms of your career. Education, family, anything you have financially, it does not matter. Where you invest yourself is what you end up reaping at the end of the day. And if you invest in only self, you're reaping, you're, you will reap what? Corruption. But if you pour into the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit to work into your life, then you can see and be a part of, this is really tall. Um, and so as a result of that, you get to reap things that are greater than yourself. So Paul is applying this principle in in, in many facets. And I want to just jump in and say something here with verse 7. I'm going to run through this pretty quick. He says, do not be deceived. So Paul does a great job encouraging believer, but also sharpening them. He gives warnings, 
That's why we often say at Chapel Point, we need to sharpen and encourage. Here, he's sharpening the believer. He's warning them, don't be deceived. Hey, some of you, are, because he's, he's very much aware that many of them are being deceived. If you only do this, then you'll be good. It doesn't work that way. Don't be deceived, my friends. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Whatever you're planting is what you're going to grow. Stop being surprised that you're reaping that which you have been planting for years. Right? One of the most common statements that I hear is, well, my kids, you know, they've kind of stepped away from the faith, and I don't know why. And, you know, as a, I, can't, I can't speak to you specifically, but I can speak as a whole to the society. Right? In 1980, the average churchgoer attended 3.2-ish times a month. Today, it's 1.6 times a month, right? That's a person who says, I'm active in the church. You can't do much in a church if your average person only shows up one and a half times a month. You'll never get to know each other. You'll never get to be in relationship with each other. And then we're surprised, and why are my kids only going once a month? And then my grandkids going half, a, you know, they go about once every other month. That's the trend that we set. We are reaping what we have been sowing, what we have been planting, by what we have said is most important to us. The disciplines that you have in your life reveal what matter to you most. Hear it very, very clearly. This is what the, a, a very clear summary of Scripture says, is the disciplines that you have in life, what you give your life to on a daily basis, reveals what matters to you. It reveals what matters to you. So here's Paul saying, listen, guys, here's a warning. And what this is not talking about, by the way, is like this whole, hey, whatever you put out, you'll get back. This is not karma. That's not what this is. This is a spiritual truth. What you, give your, what you give your life to determines what you produce. That's a spiritual truth. And yes, it's that warning. So to self, find corruption. So to Christ, find eternal life. And that's the encouraging part of it. That if we invest in the right things, if we plant the right seeds, then the name of Christ is made known. So one of the lessons that we learn here in verse 8, when it says the one who sows to his own flesh reaps corruption, the one who sows to the Spirit reaps eternal life, what you learn is this, is that yes, you harvest what you plant. It's an easier way of saying it. The reason I had this plant up here, yes, you harvest what you plant, is that the other night I was reading a devotional to my youngest son, and so I jumped in bed with him, and we're there walking through Scripture, and it took us to a passage where it asked the kid, what's your favorite vegetable? Everybody tell me, what's your favorite vegetable? Okay, somebody said broccoli. You're wrong. <laughs> um, somebody in the first service said steak. So we had a, a class. <laughs> I affirmed their game, but uh, they're not going. Intellectual ascent is not where they're moving. That's not what they're planting, you know what I'm saying? Um, so all of a sudden I'm saying, hey, well, my son said carrots, which I don't understand because carrots have no flavor unless you put a lot of brown sugar on top. Um, but he said carrots... And, I, and so it made the point, hey, if you're planting tomatoes, though, why would you expect carrots? If you're giving all of your time and your energy to furthering your career never to Christ, why, would you why do you get upset with God and struggle with going, why isn't God using me? 
If you're willing to, to, to step into all types of different avenues and desires and interests, but none of them involve God, why do you expect God to use you? It doesn't make any sense. You need to know that you're going to harvest what you plant, and that's all that is simply happening. So you need to evaluate financially and in regards to where you give your habits, right, your, your daily disciplines, your family, the way you speak to people, your career, and everything. You need to ask yourself, what are you planting? Because that's what you're going to sow. You will in time harvest that which you plant. That's verse 8, Galatians chapter 6. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now what this means is this. A lot of people have butchered this text. Just don't, it says don't, don't grow weary of, of just pushing forward. This is talking about those who are living for Jesus Christ, pushing forward the gospel, don't give up. That's how you can have the strength of the Lord. Not as long as you're chasing self. Because two verses beforehand said if you're chasing self, you're going to reap what? What's the word? Starts with a C and ends in eruption. So one is going to, if you're planting corruption, chasing self, that's not what this is referring to. This is saying if you're planting for, the, for Christ, if you're planting that which God has put in you for the kingdom of God, you're going to reap eternal life. Don't give up. I know it's going to be hard, but in time, you're going to get what you're needing to see. But yes, harvesting, what it lets us know is harvesting takes time. Second point you've got to get. You're going to harvest what you plant. You better know what you're planting in your own individual life. And if you're mature, you'll invite accountability and you'll ask some friends of yours, hey, what do you think that I'm planting? Do you think that I'm planting Christ-likeness? Do you not? Blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is. And you invite that in because you know that you harvest what you plant. But also, harvesting takes time. Now, this is a struggle for Joel. Nobody's ever looked at Joel and said, Joel, you're so patient. Like, I'm a, let's go. Come on. So I have to be cautious sometimes because I know that harvesting takes time. If you plant an oak, sometimes it takes time to grow an oak. And so he's saying, don't give up. It takes time. It takes energy. Don't give up. Don't grow weary of doing good. When it says of doing good, it means of doing for Jesus, representing him for the sake of sowing eternal life. That's what it's saying, not self. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have this opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. He's directing us here. And because we know that you harvest what you plant, this is the same um, idea that I presented not long ago. One of the things that I'm being forced to do as a uh, pastor here at Chapel Point is, am I okay with the disciples that we're planting? Am I okay with what we're harvesting? Now, you need to know, I love this church. I've had the joy of serving here for eight years, and I love this place. Um, but I have to ask the question, biblically speaking, not in terms of even my preference, but am I okay with the harvest that we are, we are bringing in? If you've been here for three years, five years, seven years, eight years, whatever it is, are we going, man, that's the type of disciple we need all around the world, spreading the name of Jesus at all costs, suffering and sacrificing and doing anything we need to do in order to reap eternal life, not to reap corruption, because that's what we desire. Are we okay with that which we are planting and thus what we are harvesting? Are we okay with that? 
That's why last week I was talking about that's why we want we need partners, not simple consumers. We know that the majority of people, like I said before, are consumers. Otherwise, they're not going 1.6 times a month. Now, our average is more than that at Chapel Point because you guys are special. But we know that. You can't be a partner at 1.6 times a month, but yet we need partners so that we can live in unity together as brothers and sisters in Christ and move toward the gospel. So how do we do that? We're trying, we're, we're going, okay, what's that, what's that plan then? What's the strategy? And I love building out, if you have a vision, I love building out a strategy to actually see that to come to fruition. That's what I love doing. And so I go, okay, if this is what we're called to do, which is multiply, transform followers of Jesus, then what is our actual game plan to get there? And so what we've done as a ministry and as elders, as leaders here in the churches, we have a three-year game plan that we are, we're implementing to truly push forward. Now, what you're going to learn about this game plan is it's not, it's not gimmicky. It's not fun. It's not like, oh, we're so smart. It's just the Word of God. So if you're expecting something really brilliant that you've never heard before, it's not going to happen. It's very simple. God gave us His Word. We obey that. We're going to be okay. Amen? So that's what I want to walk us through today. What is it to look like a transformed follower? Because we know that we are going to harvest that which we plant. And I'd rather you just know what's expected of you as a believer in Jesus Christ if you attend Chapel Point. Makes my life a lot easier in many, many regards. This is what's expected. The very first thing is right over here. It's called groups. I'm going to run through six things with you. They all fall under groups, give and go. And I'm going to ask that you take some notes. And here's the challenge. At the end of this service, you're going to be asked, where is it that God is wanting you to plug in? Which of these areas are multiple areas? And you see people, they've already referred to it, but you're going to see tables all over. There's three different locations on this campus because we also have live worship in the gym as well. And so there are people there. Hello, hope you're doing great. Um, And so they're watching this right now. And so there's places up there. And they can sign up also as we engage in worship together as we engage as being a church together, the body of Christ. First thing we're inviting is groups. Two types of groups, small groups, network groups. The majority of people in a small group, what that means is very, very simple. As a community of transformed followers, most of them are already a part of this ministry who pray for and care for one another. That's our primary care metric and method here at Chapel Point. Our primary way to care for you is for you to get in a group. If you don't want to live in a relationship, I will tell you now, it's really hard to care for you. Now, we will do our best if you're not in a group. But it's really hard to care for people who don't want to be in a relationship with you. And so we equip the leaders of our small groups to care for those people, to hold them biblically accountable. These are the three primary things that we ask of small groups. They hold each other biblically accountable. They're going to look at the text, stuff that we've been preaching. Sometimes they walk through a book and say, here's what the Word of God says. How does this strike you? How can I help pray for you about this, hold you accountable to it? And because mature leaders invite what? Then you're, they're, they're holding you accountable through relationship. That's the best way to do it. And then they're going to serve together. I also, our primary way of serving in this church is through our small groups. Now, 46% of the people who call this place home, they attend regularly, are in a small group. That's a lot. We add a small group about every week to week and a half. That's a lot of small groups. But we have 46%. We have far better to do. Because living, we know God has intended that we live in relationship. And that's how we live in relationship. This is not a relationship. This is you learning about what the Word of God instructs us to do. 
This is not relationship. I don't know all of your names. Most of you don't know my name. It's just a reality of it. This is not relationship. Relationship is in a group where you hold each other accountable, that you pray and care for one another, and you serve together. The other group that we talk about is network groups. It's a new thing that we've come up with where we're wanting everyone in here, anyone who's willing to, is to... A network group is leveraging your relationships to connect people to Jesus. Leverage your relationships with non-believers. It can be a bowling league. It can be your place of employment. It can be a school. It can be a group of of stay-at-home moms. It can be, I don't care what it is. Whatever that area of relationships that you are currently in, leverage that to teach people about Jesus. We're going to do that in two primary ways not only these ways, but two primary ways. One is by helping to teach people how to walk people through the gospel of John. You can sign up for that class as we're going to be unfolding a lot of this at the end of the summer. We're going to keep pushing it. This is a, so we're playing the long game here. Another is walking people through the five um, habits of life. Or When you look at the five areas of life, we've got pamphlets that we've walked through this before. Everybody's life consists of five things. Faith, finances, relationships, habits that you have in work or school. It's one of those, of those five, everything falls under one of those five areas. So we walk biblically and go, what does God expect of those areas? We want to teach you to go to your place of employment, to go to your school, to go to a, a group of friends that you, are, that you socialize with and say, hey, let's do this together for six weeks and see what happens. So we want everybody to start jumping into groups, small groups, but also network groups. You don't have to do both. I'm not asking of that. But we are asking that you jump into a group. Another is not just groups. By the way, you're harvesting that which you have planted. I just want to remind you of this. We're asking that you step into not only groups, but to give. But to give. And you're going, okay, is this a sermon on money? No, but I'll preach on money all day because it just shows me where your heart is. But what this is is about your gifts, your talents, and your resources, your money. It's all of the above. And we know that church is a group of people like, oh, we want to be the New Testament church. Well, in the New Testament, what you find is church is a group of people willing to fully surrender all of their life to an all-consuming God. God never says, I want part of you. He says, I want all of you. And so the New Testament church is consisting of a group of people who surrendered everything in their life in order to further the name of Jesus Christ because they knew that he was the way, the truth, and the life that nobody could come to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. And so we're asking for you to have that same understanding and that same mentality. Every time in Scripture that you find a group of people that are reluctant in giving something to God, that are, that are holding something back from God, you end up seeing God correcting them. And sometimes God is correcting them in really difficult, hard ways. Hello, people of Israel in the wilderness. So we want to be that picture of a New Testament church, and we believe that that means we need to be in relationship together, we need to be in groups together, but also we need to be giving together of our gifts, but also of our resources. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. So give as is in your heart, but it should not be reluctantly. I love that. Give as in your heart, but it better not be reluctantly. Or under compulsion. For God loves the cheerful what? Giver. We all know it. God's not happy with you if you're not happy in giving. I'm going to say it really direct. God's not happy with you if you're not happy in giving. 
Financial freedom is a popular notion and a popular idea today. Financial freedom for a lot of people means that you don't have any debt unless it's a mortgage um, and that you have at least three to six months in savings. Well, that's just not, that means about 1% of the world lives in financial freedom. I know a lot of people doing that, and yet they still have no freedom. Why? Because I believe financial freedom is a matter of knowing what is God's and knowing the ways that money can be used to glorify him and to give to the kingdom of God, period. That's freedom. Knowing that you're using your gifts, your talents, and your resources that God has given you as a steward of to give back to the kingdom of God. And there's no way to be generous in investing in the only thing that Jesus Christ ever built, which was his church. So we're asking for you to give of your gifts and talents. So one of the things that you can sign up for is we have one of our elders, Joel Coleman, who built out an app. You can actually go online and take a test. It'll tell you what your spiritual gifts are. Your three primary spiritual gifts. For some of you, someone's mentioned before, it might be hospitality. It might be in serving. It might be in helps. It might be in administration. We want you to use your gifts here. There's a reason we give back three times the national average. I say it all the time. Three times the national average of churches back to missions. Because we use your gifts that God has already put within this church body so that we can continue to give back faithfully. Some of you love to clean. If you, anybody love to clean? Yeah, there's like, I invite you to come here tomorrow. We have bathrooms. And we have community space and children's space. There's a reason I'll hire a couple people to help with all the facilities that we have here, but I don't want to hire five or six people to help with facilities. I want you to come and say, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll serve in that area so that we can keep using those other resources for the kingdom of God. Is it harder and more strenuous at times because of more management? Yes, but is it biblical? I believe it is, and so that's why we push in that manner. Some of you have the gift of hospitality, use it. The administration, you want to come serve here, come and serve here with administration. We would love for you to be able to do that. But yes, we're also asking for you to give. I'm asking all of you for the next three months to tithe. A tithe is 10% biblically. For the next three months, I'm asking, just see what God does. I'm not talking prosperity gospel like, oh, if you give, God's going to give you that brand new Corvette, which those are sweet, by the way. Um, that's a, they did a good job on that one. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's a biblical notion. That a great, Jackie said it so well. 10% is a great place where the Bible says that's a great place to start. It's not a great place to finish. Can I invite you to tie 10% for three months and see what God does? Because here's some averages for you. 2000 um, and 2021, these are national surveys from PushPay, national organization. Depends on the congregation, but 10 to 25% of the congregation makes up the tithers. 10 to 20%. 10 to 25 percent, I'm sorry. Since 1990, religious giving is down 50 percent. Yet we have a higher means of living than ever before. So people are just wanting to spend, people are spending more on themselves. And it's, I'm not talking about inflation, which is only like 78 percent. On average, Christians give roughly 2 percent of their income. People who are faithful to the church. 2%. The average churchgoer in America gives $17 a week. Now, at Chapel Point, in 2021, we had 971 family units giving. 971 family units gave to the ministry. You're going, oh, that's a lot. It's less than half. It's 47%. 
And it doesn't mean they all tithe, by the way, trust me. I don't know what people give. I'm simply saying if, if they all tithe, things, we would be given trillions of dollars to missions. That's an exaggeration. But we look at this and go, okay, then wait, what, what are we doing? Now, the great news is we shatter, as Chapel Point, we shatter national averages. With 47% participating in giving in any manner whatsoever. The sad thing is, the average is horrible. <laughs> That's the bad news. Because we have people who are consumers and not partners. And if you have questions about that, I'd love to speak to you about it. I'm so proud of our ministry and our church and where we put our investment of God's resources in this place and how we spend those resources. And it's hard to do it the way we do it. According to most churches, I should literally have 15 to 20 more staff. And I do need some, but I don't want that many more so we can just keep giving back to ministries, keep giving back to missions. And it's hard to do it to do it in that way, but we need you to be a part of it. And so we're inviting you not only to be a part of groups, but to give back. And then lastly, what we're inviting you to do is to go. Groups give, go. Just remember that. Put it in the refrigerator. You can get information at all these different tables. Groups give, go. If you want to learn about groups, sign up for a small group, a network group. You can go do that. If you want to be a part of this, you can find resources on giving and learning about your giftedness, but also about going. We want you to do two things. We want you to go and share your faith. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, right, is one. And it's, what it's going, stepping into is called the Shema. In the Old Testament, that's like the, the general biblical mandate, the Shema, for us to understand. In the New Testament, it comes from Matthew chapter 26. It's something called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission tells us to go ye therefore into all the world. In fact, this is a great way. Here it is. Why don't we read this? To, well, I'll let you read this out loud because it's called the Great Commission. All right? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is the marching order for all believers. So our expectation for somebody who is a partner is that you share your faith at least once a week. You're like, well, it's hard to walk up to tell, look at somebody who says they're not a believer and say, do you know Jesus? Otherwise, you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. That's horrible. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to build relationships with people. We want to be in groups with one another and get to know each other. But I do tell you, go up to people and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Start a relationship. How can I pray for you? That's the right way to do it, friends. It's respectful. It's wanting to know about them and to pray for them because I believe God can restore any heart that is callous toward him. I believe God can redeem anyone from anything at any time because he's such a loving God. And so you look at someone and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Or you look at and say, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? I, I say these questions all the time. I've never had anybody say, you can't tell me what God's doing in your life. Only once has somebody said that I can't pray for them. Once. And I lived outside New York. Nobody went to church. 
once, and that was an atheist. The other atheists have always said yes, just in case. Seriously. And so we're inviting you to go and to share your faith. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. This is all, this is just scripture, friends. It's the word of God. And we're inviting you to go and not only share your faith, but to go on missions with us. We truly, we would like to see 500 of you go on a short-term mission trip in the next three years. So while we have such a deep partnership with the Northeast United States, we've been asked to do leadership cohorts and ministry in all of New England to head that up for roughly four or 500 churches if we can get them all activated. I have no clue how we're going to do that. But we're going to give it everything we have because roughly 2% goes to church, is, considers themselves Christian in that area. 2% of all of New England. That's it. So you can sign up this, and go, go on a trip with us this fall. We're stepping into the South Pacific in heavy ways and other parts of the world as well. We already have churches that we're partnering with in the Philippines where Pastor Nathan's been numerous times. We'll be there in August. We'll come back at Christmas. And you can come and be a part of that with us. And say, you know what? God's asking me to go. To go share my faith on a daily basis, but to also go on missions. So go to these places after the service and sign up and go, you know, I have more interest here. Because what we're wanting to do is, as a church, we're wanting partners to make sure that we're planting the right thing. Are we okay with the disciple that this church is producing? And hear me say, I'm so proud of this church. I'm so proud of who, um, who we are and how God is using us, but we have so much farther to go. in order to be a part of groups and relationships in this community, to give that which God has asked us to give, and then to go and tell the world about the greatness of Jesus. Small groups, network groups of your gifts, your, your resources, sharing your faith, going on mission. I'm, I want to I do this. I want to just close with this before I pray for you. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad at all, but if you believe that God is wanting you to step in in any of these ways in a, in a more robust manner, if it's through small groups, network groups, and gifts and resources, sharing your faith or going on, if it's any of those areas, if you think God is wanting you to possibly step in in one of those areas in a more robust manner in order to plant the kingdom of God, to see God work, would you please stand up right now? Don't, if you don't, like, it's okay. Because, by the way, just to let you know, it's all biblical. It's called the Word of God. And we need to understand that God has called us to so much more. What God has called us to is to represent Him. And it's time for a lot of us to start to stop coming up with reasons that I don't want to be in a group. What if they really know who I am? Or that takes too much energy. Or, well, man, I don't know if I want to be in a group. What if God wants to use you to impact somebody else, not just for you to be impacted? It's such selfish thinking. 
What if God wants to use those resources that you have to do abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. What if God wants to use your mouth and your experiences for somebody else who is living in darkness to finally recognize there is something called the light of the world, his name is Jesus, and they can escape that depression and that anxiety and everything else if you would just use the heart that God has given to you. That's what it is to be on mission. And we will be unrelenting as his church to proclaim Jesus Christ. That is who we are. That is what we get to do. So I know if it's your first week, you're going, oh boy. Welcome to Chapel Point. And so, Lord, I thank you for your greatness and for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, may we step into your grace and mercy and also extend it to others. Not that we can save them, but that we can show mercy and love and forgiveness to other people. God, may we be simply a conduit of the greatness of who you are and how you love and care for everyone. God, use the giftedness that that you've placed within us and the resources that you allow us to be stewards of. Use us in our energies and our calendars to truly step in, to see a movement of God in this region and beyond that is only accredited to the power of Jesus. I thank you for your love. Amen.